Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Friday morning, everyone, and welcome to the Wittenberg Door. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius with Gethsemane Lutheran Church. We're glad that you joined us this morning. Uh, with me today is Lee Hall. Lee, nice to have morning. you today. And uh, Sean is always at the controls. Good morning. Thanks, Sean, for being here. Uh, folks, today we're going to uh, continue our little series on our catechism, on uh, the Luther Small Catechism, and of course, later, as always, we're going to take a look at our upcoming lessons for this Sunday. Uh, Lee, how's your week been? Good. Good. Cold. All right. We began, uh, we had uh, uh, Tuesday night at Gethsemane, we had what we call our Fat Tuesday dinner, which is basically um, Mardi Gras dinner. We have pancakes and eggs and and we uh, call it the last blast before the fast. And then uh, Wednesday evening, we started uh, Ash Wednesday. Uh, we began the Lenten season with Ash Wednesday. So we're this uh, Sunday coming up here is the first Sunday in Lent. Uh, those who are uh, maybe part of a liturgical church will will uh, understand, you know, uh, the season a little more. Uh, most Christians have some exposure to. Uh, Lent and it, its uh, theme is a preparation for Easter. During the season of Lent, we talk about um, we think about our sins. You know, we think about uh, 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 temptation and struggling with temptation, uh, turning from our sins, and uh, but mostly we think about Christ and His sacrifice for us in the face of our temptations and in the face of our failures. Uh, sometimes to uh, resist temptation. In other words, our failures, our sins, required uh, a Savior. And uh, so we think a lot about, during the Lent season, we think a lot about what Jesus has done to rescue us and save us from our sins. So we'll look forward to, as the uh, time matures in the program, we'll look forward to going over that. Uh, before we start that, though, we're going to go back into our Luther's small catechism. In the last few weeks, we talked about the uh, first commandment, what it means, and and how uh, we are required in the first commandment to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Last week, we spent a, a little time talking about who that God is that we are to fear, love, and trust, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, one God in three persons. And uh, this is uh, very important for us to know who it is we worship. When God says, you shall have no other gods, uh, that requires us to, to know something about God. Now, you know, sometimes we get a little lazy. It's part of our, part of our sinful human nature. We don't like to learn about uh, uh, doctrine. But remember, folks, that doctrine is, is really just teaching. It's really just what God tells us in his word. And we should, 
We should really love to hear what God teaches us in his word. And so uh, we're going to continue that today. And today we're going to talk about the second commandment. And Lee, do you remember what the second commandment is? Put you on the spot here. Take you back 50 years to your catechism. Uh, not to make any images. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, if you come from a Reformed church, yes, <laughs> you, shall, okay, so you shall not make any graven images. Not now, to take the name of the Lord in vain. Yes, yeah. Now, our, uh, uh, when, when uh, Lutherans and Roman Catholics number this a little bit different than, than uh, maybe a Baptist and a Greek Orthodox, there's a kind of a different set, different numbering. You know, when God gives the commandments, he doesn't say, here it is, commandment number one, right? Yeah. Here it is, commandment number two. And so uh, the commandments have been divided a little bit differently by, by different... Uh, we know there are ten because God says in Deuteronomy there are ten commandments that God gave to Moses on, on Mount Sinai. But, uh, but they're numbered a little bit differently. And for Lutherans and Roman Catholics, for most of the Western Church, historically, uh, we have had uh, the, fir- the uh, prohibition against worshiping images has really always kind of been thought of as the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. Well, if you shall have no other gods, then an explanation of that is you shall not make any gods, right? right. And you shall not make any graven images. So we treat the second commandment then as you shall not uh, misuse the na- in, in our current uh, current catechism, the current edition. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, or you shall not take God's name in vain. A lot of people remember it this way. Uh, well, what does it mean to take God's name in vain or to misuse God's name? And of course, when we think about this, the first thing that pops in our mind is what? Cursing. Cursing. Or, yeah, or like when you make a, a statement like, oh, God. Yeah. Is that, is right. That, that's, not, yeah. that's not good either, is it? Yeah, you take, uh, you, 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 uh, 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 you feign you, you calling on God, right? Yeah. <laughs> in times of distress or, you know, in, in, in times of anger, maybe. Yeah. And you uh, take a, a name that people use to call upon the one true God, and you use it in a moment of frustration as a curse word or as a um, as a byword. Um, well, you know, and this is wrong, of course. It, that is a misuse of God's name. Uh, God's name is for prayer and for praise, right? It's for lifting up and exalting God. So when you use it in any other way, it's a misuse of God's name. You know, and by the way, God's name is important to him, <laughs> God's name is something that he reveals for our salvation. And so it's not something that we take lightly. It's given to us for a purpose. Um, God reveals his name so that we can call upon his name in times of trouble. Call upon it in every trouble as we later learn what Luther says, uh, pray, praise, and give thanks. Okay? But to think about this in the, in, in the uh, negative, and in other words, what God forbids us to do, in the second commandment, uh, it would be any type of uh, misusing God's name in kind of a, a profane way, as people think of, you know, hitting your hitting your thumb with a hammer and you take the name of Jesus in vain, for instance. Right? And that is a misuse of God's name. But what are some other ways people misuse God's name other than this kind of a curse word? 
want to claim to be a Christian, for example, but only using that as a ruse. Yeah. Uh, hypocrisy is an awful misuse of God's name. Right? Somebody says, well, I'm a Christian. And then they oppose the very things that God in his word says uh, he values. Right? They oppose the very things that God says. They, they are for the very things that God says he is against. Right? Um, whether they do it in a way, you know, some, some people, and typically when you think of hypocrisy, what, what's the image we have? You know, usually some religious person who says one thing and does another, another right? Well, listen, uh, the word hypocrite, by the way, is a Greek word, hypocrates, and it's a word that was used in the theater, right? And if you've ever seen um, kind of in thespian societies, if you were in high school, in the thespian society in high school, and uh, part of the uh, part of the logo of the thespian society were, were the masks, right? And in the Greek theater, uh, they all wore masks. You know, you were putting on another face, right? Right. So when Jesus uses this word, and when he calls out the Pharisees as hypocrites, what he's saying is, you guys go around wearing a mask. You present yourself as something that you're not, right? So, um, so you know, hypocrisy can be understood as somebody saying one thing in public and then in private doing something different, right? Uh, uh, by the way, I think we should point this out that every Christian may stand up for things uh, and may sincerely believe in something and in a moment of weakness, personal weakness or uh, 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 sin, and uh, open himself up to the charge of hypocrisy. doesn't necessarily mean that he's playing some part that he's putting on a mask and trying to convince people that he's something that he's not. This is all part of our normal failure for sinful human beings, right? Oh, sin is right. sin. That's now, right. I have a question for both of you. Yeah. Now, in your opinion, have you noticed uh, when people go to prison, they find God? Yeah. Now, to me, do you, do you think that... Jailhouse conversions, right? Is that, yeah. Yeah. Now... Well, which, you know, which is good in a way, but it, it yeah. seems like okay. Well, what, what, why do you have to go to a, to prison to find God? I, I don't. Right, right. I don't understand that. I well, just want to throw that out to you guys. Would you? No, that's uh, that's a valid question. Uh, you know, and of course, I've done some work in prisons with people who are who have, you know, listen. When you go to jail, oftentimes it's the lowest point in your life. True. Yeah, that's true. You've blown it, and you're, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe there's all kinds of shame and exposure that you have opened yourself up to. Uh, people see you as you are. And uh, sometimes it takes that uh, for people to realize that, hey, I'm a, I need help. I'm, I'm a sinner. And, you know, when the world, when society tells you you're a sinner... And when the society tells you that you deserve punishment, uh, then maybe that's a time when, when people um, begin to look up and, and look for a savior. So uh, now, you know, of course, you also have, I'm sure, people who go to jail and, 
and then they uh, they think that maybe by going to Bible study or going to these religious services that it will impress the judge whenever time comes around they'll be able to say well judge I've been getting my life together and you know so you may have that yeah but I you know from my experience when I go into uh, into a jail or into a prison uh, most I, I, you know, and, and who knows? You know, because who knows the, the human heart? Right. But um, I think most are sincerely, the most of the people I've dealt with, are sincerely wanting to find out how they've erred and and, and be on the right track. You know. Well, that's good. That's I, good. I, I, and I and I think for the I, most part it is good. Like you, yeah. you could have those actors. That's that's for sure. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. So yeah, and. Um, and when we teach one thing, when we as Christians represent one thing, represent a set of values, and we don't live up to those values, we all certainly open ourselves up to the charge of hypocrisy, yep. right? And it's every one of us. Uh, and yet we have a forgiving God who is merciful and to us. Another example of uh, taking the Lord's name in vain is when someone says, God told me when God didn't tell them. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Now, see, and this is where Luther, uh, in, the, in the large catechism, where Luther really gets into what exactly this means as taking God's name in vain. And the worst kind of taking God's name in vain is to represent, represent God in a way that he is not. Or to say, for instance, but God said. When you said God told him, I, I guess, can you define that for me? I, I don't, I'm not sure. Like in, in a bad way or in a good way? I mean, uh, I'm using air quotes here. God oh, okay. spoke into my heart. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Because God can't talk to you, right? I mean, well, so, yeah. God, I mean, no, God I mean, does. God does speak to us. Yeah. Uh, he speaks to us uh, through the Word and through the revealed Word. Um, you know, there may be uh, different ways that God comes to us in our conscience. For instance, mm -hmm. uh, the Holy Spirit lays convictions on our heart but for the most part I think Lee and I would both agree with this for the most part God doesn't really come to you in the inner recesses of your heart right. and give you new fresh messages it always has um, to be consistent with scripture yeah otherwise it's baseless yeah and, and when God when God reveals himself to to somebody he usually accompanies that revelation with miracles so that whatever they are saying can be attested to as a, as a sign. You know, Jesus, for instance, says, I'm the light of the world. You know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the, uh, unless you believe in me, you will perish in your sins. Right. Well, uh, unless Jesus does produce these miracles, how do we really know that God spoke to him? That's true. And so he, he, he is raised from the dead, which is the greatest miracle that he defeats death and the devil. And uh, so we know his word is true. So, But yes, yeah, that's, uh, you know, any type of false teaching, anytime somebody takes up the Bible and they presume to teach the Bible, and this is what's so dangerous about um, false doctrine. You know, uh, false doctrine is, is not a kind of, we tend to think of in, in, in society today, we tend to think of, well, there's a lot of different churches and they teach a lot of different things. And uh, so no big deal. 
you might teach one thing that the Bible says, somebody else might teach another thing. Well, it is a big deal. Because when somebody says that God's word says this, and God's word doesn't say that, when somebody says God requires this of you, and God doesn't require that of you, or, um, you know, whatever it is, when, when uh, someone calls something a sin that really is in and of itself not a sin, I mean, it's a terrible, it's a, it's a terrible blasphemy of God. It's the worst. It's the worst blasphemy of God's name is to represent God as having said something he hasn't said. These are wolves in sheep's clothing. And, and this is what Jesus says, right? And, and you hear this, um, these kind of admonitions throughout Scripture that, you know, if you hear someone teaching a different doctrine than the one you've learned, the Apostle Paul will say, get away from them. Get away from them. So false teaching is, is really, it, and it's the worst form of misuse of God's name. It's the worst form of blasphemy. Um, so we've talked a little bit about what God forbids in the second commandment. Well, Lee, what, what does God require of us in the second commandment? Well, he wants us to, uh, to, to use his name in prayer. Yeah. To call upon him. Yeah. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 15. All our, all our catechism students have to learn. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. Right? So God gives us his name so that in times of trouble, in times of distress... Uh, when we need him, when we're at the bottom of our uh, resources, you know, whenever, when we're at the top of resources, I guess, too, that we'll call upon him in, in, in times of need, that we'll, we'll ask him for help. God wants to be asked. God wants to be included in your life. He wants to be your helper. He wants to be your support. And uh, he wants to be a blessing to you. And uh, a lot of times it's, you know, the Apostle James says, you have not because you ask not. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, well, we ask not because we, in, in a way, what are we really saying when we don't pray, Lee? Oh, that we don't believe him. Yeah. We don't, we don't believe he'll help. Yeah, we don't. Or that he cares. Really, we don't believe God is good. Right? So even the very simple act of prayer is a confession that God is a, is a good God. And uh, so uh, when Luther explains this, he says, we should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, uh, lie or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. So call upon it in every trouble, pray, uh, and praise. What is praise, Lee? Tell me what praise is. Uh, just, uh, I, w I would say thankful, but um, just uh, expressing joy uh, yeah. and uh, uh, appreciation. Uh, thanks. Yeah, yeah you're, you're saying good things about God, right? Uh, give thanks to the Lord, the psalmist says, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, right? Amen. Give thanks to the God of God. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. In other words, you're, you're talking about how exalted he is, how good he is, how merciful he is, how ready he is to help. And, uh, and expressed in terms of praise is, you know, whether you're directly addressing God uh, or in a, in a prayer, for instance, or, or if you're just speaking about God, 
and telling the good things about God as the psalmist does so often you know he uh, talks about how good God like is. Like when you say, like when you're doing a prayer, you say, you know, like, you know, take the burden, you know, you lift the burden up to him, right? Yes. That's basically, so when, you, when you're doing that. Yeah. So he's, he's, nine times out of ten, he'll, he'll answer your prayer some way, somehow, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, somehow, you know, uh, the, the apostle John says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, right? Right. And um, and he does hear us. He, by the way, and this is a very important point. Why would we expect God to hear us? Okay, now think about this for a second. Because when we sin, when man sinned, man was turned away from God. Man was when man was expelled from the Garden of Eden. Man was turned away, <coughs> and uh, was out of fellowship with God. And so. Why would we expect, for instance, why would we expect God to hear us? Because Christ has made peace between us and God. Yeah. I mean, the, the only way that God hears us is because we have a, a mediator. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul will call Christ the mediator. He says, uh, there's one God and, and a, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So uh, we would say to pray, to not misuse God's name, but to pray means that we call upon God in the name of Jesus or through Jesus' name or through, uh, through Jesus' merit. We, uh, we uh, ask God for the things we need. And God does hear us. Thank you. God does hear us and, uh, and, uh, and will answer our prayers sometimes, uh, sometimes in the negative, you know, sometimes, sometimes in the positive. Uh, when uh, Moses, after... The 40 years through the desert and Moses has been told by God that he will not enter the promised land and right at the end of his life Moses prays he asks God please let me enter in you know and and God says no no it's not going to happen you know sometimes God tells us no and uh, uh, sometimes we sometimes by his uh, uh, we understand no from from the circumstances that happen uh, but God does hear us. And that's the thing that we believe when we call upon God, even when, you know, uh, uh, even when it seems unlikely that God hears us, he, he hears us. You know, he doesn't, by the way, he doesn't hear us because we're good. He doesn't hear us because we, we live a certain way. He doesn't hear us because uh, he's pleased with us personally. Right, and a lot of times people think this about God, that you know, if if I'm pleasing to God, He'll hear me. No, He doesn't hear us for any of these reasons. He hears us only because Christ has bridged that gap between God and man by His life, death, and resurrection, and offers us fellowship with God, offers us this privilege of being able to come to God, and and to be heard by God, to be heard by Him. So that's very important. That's a uh, really important point uh so we pray praise and give thanks you know uh and what does it mean to give thanks of course well it just means to to what Lee? To, if you, to, to bring to recollection the good things that god has done for us and recognize that they came from god yeah and uh the that appreciation the feeling the that that uh you know you you 
have this unmerited favor given to you by God. Yeah. That, that's that's thankfulness. Yes. In other words, we recognize that the good things in life that we we have are gifts from a a good Creator, right? Uh, a good God who loves us and gave us His Son, and if He uh, if He gives us his son, he'll he'll freely give us all things. You know, we recognize this, for instance, when we sit at our tables and and pray over over our meals. You know, and it's a it's a custom that many Christians uh, observe. It's a good custom uh, because you have to, you know, like so many other things, this this prayer and praising and giving thanks requires a little bit of discipline. You know. If you if you just say well I'm I'm going to do this whenever whenever it hits me what happens it hits you less and less you know uh, uh, because you we have this tendency to go away from from uh, remembering the good things that we receive somebody said gratitude is the shortest lived of all human emotions and it's probably true there's uh, a good habit I. I we can form habits in ourselves by repeating them and form good habits or bad habits. Yeah. And uh, a good habit, I think, is first thing in the morning. Yes. Before your feet hit the floor, give thanks for the day. Yeah. Yeah, Luther in the Catechism says, uh, uh, when you pray, in the morning when you get up, you pray, I thank you, God, uh, that you have kept me this night, and I pray that you graciously keep me this day from all sin and all evil. Uh uh, in the same way at night, I, I thank you, my God, for all your goodness to me. And and how's the catechism prayer go? He said, I pray that you would forgive me for all my sins that I have done and that you would keep me this night and let your holy angels have charge of me that the wicked one may have no power over me. It, it, it takes some time to develop a habit. Yes, but, yeah. But that's what thanks, thankfulness is, is calling to recollection that God is listening, that yeah. God is... is uh, interfering in a good way with our lives and, yes and most of all giving us time giving us another day yeah uh, the the thankfulness also helps us to um, remember to look forward to good things yes if we're not thankful about the good things that we've had in the past we tend to not expect good things to come in the future and 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 and, and the thankfulness sense. itself is really one of those things that builds confidence in us with god that god is good because if god has been good to me already well we we believe god will continue to be good to me as uh you know we we say this again and we say it in the catechism we talk about god's providence uh Luther says, I believe that God has made me in all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members. He, God, these are gifts of God. Uh, my reason and all my senses and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land animals, and all that I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. And all this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this, it is my duty. It is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true, Luther says. I love that, by the way. Amen. His explanations of the, of the creed is just wonderful. Uh, but yeah, so the, the, what does God require of us? He requires of us that we 
call upon him, that we pray, that we praise, that we give thanks to him. And he, and he requires of us that we refrain from misusing his name, but, misuse it, but use it in a good way. Yeah. Uh, so can you uh, explain to me uh, and the listeners out there what a true Christian is and a fa- there's a fake Christian? Yeah. So, I mean, to become a Christian, yeah. to be a true Christian, because a lot of people can say, oh, okay, I'm a Christian. Right. Because, you know, I wake up in the morning, I just pray. Uh-huh. But does that make you a Christian just because you're praying? I mean, I, I don't know. Isn't there more stuff to it? Well, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, praying doesn't make you a Christian. Christians pray, but praying doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, what makes you a Christian is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit has come and laid conviction on you that uh, Jesus Christ died and rose again for you and that your sins are forgiven on account of, of him. And um, and so someone who believes that is a Christian, is a true Christian. Uh, whether or not, by the way, and this is where, you know, when we get into talking about hypocrisy, uh, all Christians, by the way, are guilty of this in one way or another because we all still have this sinful nature with us, right? And so, uh, you know, uh, what we really can't do is we can't say about somebody else, they're not a true Christian, That's true. right? Right. Uh, because we can't look in their heart, we can't see faith in their heart. Right. Um, now, you know, of course, Jesus does say you will know them by their fruits. And someone who continuously, you know, opposes the things of God and, and uh, blasphemes or doesn't pray and, uh, you know, has no desire to be in church, for instance, you might begin to say that, you know, this, this person isn't, we might say, at first we might say, well, they're not acting like a Christian, right? right. Uh, they're not, uh, they're not um, in conformity with God's will. Uh, and, and there will be a certain amount of, uh, you know, life that goes along with true faith. Whenever we have true faith, uh, there will be a true life that goes along with it. But uh, as, as long as we keep in mind that that, that true life is never complete, it's never, you know, there's only really only one person who who has ever lived the Christian life, and that's Christ himself. Right. Only one person who has ever kept the commandments as God requires them to be kept, and only one person who has resisted temptation in the way God requires it to be resisted. Um, but yeah, there will well, be... Thanks for explaining that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but someone who has faith in Jesus is a true Christian. Someone who truly believes that, that Jesus died for their sins and rose again for their justification. Uh, that, that person, you know, they believe Jesus is, is God himself, God in the flesh, you know. Uh, they believe what God says about himself. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they are Christians. They have come to faith in Christ. If and, they, and obviously you want to get a church. Too, yes, you want to absolutely. To, yeah. Yeah, because if you if you believe in Christ and yeah. you want to hear what what Christ says, you want to receive Christ. You know, in our church, we we talk about Holy Communion. We talk about receiving the Lord's Supper, Jesus' own body and blood. If you're a true Christian, you you want that. Yeah. You want to receive that communion with Christ. So, yeah. I think of the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector that went down to the temple. Yeah. And the and Pharisee talks about how... Jesus' own parable. This is Jesus, yeah, Jesus what Jesus yeah. teaches. Yeah. So he, he makes a distinction. I think yeah. I think this is the definition myself. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, we know he who believes and is baptized 
shall be saved. Will be saved, right. What you believe is what's very important. <coughs> you can believe all kinds of things. Yeah. So, But you, you need to believe the truth. The yeah. truth matters in this. And, and the <coughs> truth is that the Pharisee went down and the tax collector went down. And yeah. the tax collectors, by the way, were really bad people. They were like uh -huh. the scum of, the, of society. They took advantage of people. They had bad reputations. Dishonest. And they, and they, they hung around with with uh, really bad people. Pharisees, and, on the other hand, you know, we tend nowadays to equate Pharisees and hypocrites, but her Pharisees in that day, at yeah. least, were understood as being the good people, yes. the church people, the yes. righteous people, yeah. the ones who gave to the poor and... You know, Devoted had, to God. They had good lives. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus at one point says, unless your righteousness far exceeds that of the Pharisees... Uh-huh. Uh, you you won't see heaven. You won't enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? Uh, so. so the Pharisee and the tax collector go down to the temple to pray. This is Jesus saying this. Yeah. And the Pharisee looked around and said, gave thanks to God for how good he was. Yes. And how he was able to do things like tithe and... and uh, Fast twice a week. He and did, did all the right things. Yes, he did all and, the right things. And he looked over and he saw the... the the tax collector and said, and I'm thankful that I'm not like this tax collector. Yes. Burdened with sin and yeah. obviously grieving. Right, right. The tax collector, on the other hand, yeah. <laughs> beat his chest and said, I'm I'm not worthy. Yeah. And God be merciful to me, the sinner was his prayer. Yeah. And so Jesus said, compared those two people and said yeah. that the tax collector went down to his house. Justified. Yeah, he was declared righteous and because he wasn't relying on himself. But, you know, we, we say, you know, what is the essence of faith, by the way? Faith is more than just believing that Jesus died and rose again. The devil knows that Jesus died and rose again. Faith is believing that he did these things for me and putting your your trust in Jesus as, as your Savior, knowing that he's going to... He's you, going to, you have to uh, disavow any righteousness that yes, you think you might have. That's right. Because it's dirty rags. The that's Bible right. tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We that's do right. not impress God that's right. by making promises, no matter how sincere. Amen. Or by doing great things. Amen. The, these things mean nothing to God. The only thing that means anything to God is what Jesus has done for us. That's right. And, it, and it's our faith in, in that. In what Jesus has done that saves us, not in what we've done. That's very important. Well, let's, um, speaking of what Jesus has done, let's go to our lessons for this. This uh, upcoming Sunday, folks, is the first Sunday in Lent. And, of course, the lesson for the first Sunday in Lent is the temptation of Jesus, or the gospel lesson. Why don't we read the gospel lesson first, and then we will read the Old Testament lesson as right, well. This is Imokane, right? Yes, yeah. So this is according to the English Standard Version, ESV. Matthew 4, verse 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. But And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and 
On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to, the, to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You know, this is very important. Um, we talk about what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection. Um, and here we see a really important thing that Jesus does in his life. That is, he resists temptation, he resists sin. He does what Adam and Eve failed to do. We see contrast this with uh, the the uh, the tempter coming to Eve and to Adam in the garden and tempting them with with what God had told them: "You shall not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden." And uh, of course, they uh, they failed. They broke God's commandment. Just as each of us has failed, we have broken God's commandment. Well, here we see Jesus who doesn't break God's commandment, who doesn't fail. When the time for temptation comes to Jesus, he uh, resists temptation by the word of God. He chooses the word of God over sin. And, uh, you know, as we enter into this season of Lent and this in preparation for Easter, in preparation for the resurrection of Jesus, actually in preparation for our, our celebration of his death and resurrection, um, oftentimes what the season of Lent is about is it's a season of discipline. And it's a season of 40 days uh, in which we are uh, kind of walking with Jesus uh, in the midst of temptation. And we, are, uh, we take a, a more active spiritual, uh, take more seriously this spiritual battle that we're in. Um, uh, and so many people discipline themselves as Jesus doesn't eat or drink here. So many people will give up certain things for those 40 days of Lent in, in observation of Jesus 40 days in the desert. Maybe, maybe uh, people will give up uh, soda or give up uh, beer or wine, something they enjoy, something that's not sinful in itself but, uh, um, but can, can be, but... Uh, but they just uh, choose not to do it. Uh, you know, people, I've seen several people on Facebook give up Facebook for Lent, right? <laughs> In other words, something that you enjoy, something that you want to discipline yourself uh, to uh, kind of take control of yourself and your flesh. And so many people will give up eating meat on Fridays. You know, that's a kind of a typical fast that many Catholics observe. They don't eat meat on Friday. That's why you have all the fish fries and in Friday during Lent. Uh, but here we, you know, that's kind of a, it, it's an imitation of Jesus. And during this season of Lent, we, we uh, think more about this spiritual battle that we're in. And we take temptation a little more seriously because we know what our temptation and our failures to resist temptation has cost the Son of God. It's, it's cost him his life. He's, he's gone to the cross and suffered uh, for our failure to live up to God's standards and, and in that way has saved us. So, uh, but during this season of Lent, we, 
we uh, think about Jesus and his, his resistance to temptation, and we kind of resolve in our own way to also resist temptation. And how do we resist temptation? Well, how does Jesus resist temptation? He resists it by knowing the Word of God and, and choosing the Word of God over desires or over temptations. You know, when we, when we choose to live according to God's Word, we remember God's Word. And in the midst of our temptation, we confront that temptation with what God says. And in that way, we, uh, we kind of join in this 40-day fast of Jesus and we, with Jesus, uh, discipline ourselves and, uh, and imitate our Savior and all that he's done for us. Of course, we always keep in mind that as much as we aspire to imitate Christ, as much as we aspire to, aspire to, to do what Christ did, we also recognize each and every day our failure to do it, Right? Right. And, uh, you know, it's when we're really confronted with temptation that we um, see our own weakness and our own failures most. So during the season of Lent, it's, uh, it's also a season of repentance. It's a season of being contrite and sorrowful for our sin. And um, now this word repentance is a very important word. It's used throughout Scripture. John the Baptist tells us to repent. Jesus tells us to repent. What does repent mean? Well, to repent means to be sorry for your... Very simply, it means to be sorry for your sin, uh, to be terrified of God's judgment, and to believe in Christ. Now, when Judas sins and betrays Christ, afterwards we know in Scripture that Judas is sorry that he has done it. And his sorrow is so great that he hangs himself. So to be sorry for sin really isn't enough. Uh, it's only kind of a kind of a half repentance. It's a worldly repentance. It's a worldly, what Paul will call a worldly sorrow. Unless is added faith in Christ, it's really not true repentance. What true repentance is, is, is believing, that, uh, believing that you have a Savior. Believing God's promises that he makes to us, that he makes even to sinners like us, that he'll save us, that he'll rescue us, that he'll wash us from our sin, and, and uh, that, that would be, say, the difference between uh, Judas's re repentance, Judas's sorrow, and Peter's sorrow. Because Peter denies Jesus, and yet he comes back to faith in Jesus. So what real repentance is, is it means, it means uh, faith in Christ. And when you say wash for these sins, do you have to get like a baptized deal or it just goes away? Well, uh, you know, uh, God tells us repent and be baptized, you know. Uh, this is the, uh, the very first Christian sermon that Peter gives at Pentecost. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Mm -hmm. So baptism is necessary. Baptism is a washing away of sin. But uh, once we've been baptized... Uh, you know, we fall into sin again, we don't go get rebaptized, okay. right? Right. Because we've been baptized. Our sins have been washed. And what we do is we claim the promises that God has given us through our baptism. Uh, so, yeah, but yeah, baptism is, is, is certainly uh, part of this call to repentance.
Absolutely. All right. We're all born with the desire to do things our own way. Yeah. And we do things our own way sometimes by justifying them through something someone else said. But when it comes right down to it, we live in a free country. We do all the things that free people should do. Yeah. And uh, we're proud of the fact that, that we do things our own way. Yeah. Well, repentance, real repentance, is giving up on your own way. Yeah. And turning to God's way, which is Christ. Christ is the only way, not through righteousness or good works or yeah, well, belonging con- to the right church. That's or- right. Contrition and faith. So sorrow for sin and faith in Christ. Turning to Christ. That That's what repentance is. And so when someone has faith in Christ, when they recognize their own sin, they, they believe that they have a Savior in Jesus, uh, and they cling to him, that's that's give repentance. give up trying to do things their own way. Yeah, well, you know, and, and each of us, uh, when we say that, though, we have to be careful because uh, none of us ever completely gives up trying to do things our own way. That's why we have to repent daily. <laughs> yeah, we, all, we, always, we always sin. Uh, but, but repentance itself is contrition and sorrow for sin, and uh, along with faith in Christ. And, uh, and, and, of course, if you have sorrow for sin, uh, you're, you're not looking forward to your next opportunity to do it, right? Yeah, amen. So, uh, okay, well, the most important thing, folks, is that Jesus has endured temptation for us. He has done what we could not do. He resisted temptation. He lived the perfect life for us in our place. And this is the comfort we receive from the gospel, uh, is that uh, is that we have a Savior in Jesus. Well, folks, we thank you for being with us today. We invite you, if you don't have a church of your own, to join us at Gethsemane Lutheran Church. Our services are Sunday morning at 10.30, Saturday afternoon at 4.30 p.m. And uh, we're at 219 East Church Street. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius. Thank you, Lee, for being with us again today. Thank you, Sean. You're welcome. And we'll see you next Friday at 11, 12 a.m. You meet each day. Legendary newsman Hugh Downs. Did you ever think you would be referring to the NBC News?